2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We kick things off with a major earnings alert on Snap. That stock is plummeting after our shares are now down about 23 percent. The call is just getting underway. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with more on the quarter. Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, that stock is plummeting after Snap reported third quarter revenue that missed estimates. And the company, most importantly, I think this is really what the issue is here. It guided to lower than expected revenue for the fourth quarter. Now, Snap did beat on daily active users. It added 13 million over the course of the quarter for a total of 306 million daily active users in the quarter. That beat estimates by about Four million, But Snap CEO Evan Spiegel warning in his prepared remarks that Apple's iOS privacy changes are impacting the company more than anticipated, saying, quote, while we anticipated some degree of business and disruption, the new Apple provided measurement solution did not scale as we had expected, making it more difficult for our advertising partners to measure and manage their ad campaigns for iOS. Now, Spiegel goes on to say that the company is working on building its own first-party data measurement tools to help mitigate the impact of these Apple privacy changes. The company also noting that supply chain constraints and labor shortages are hurting its advertisers, and in turn, that is impacting Snap's business. Now, take a look at some of the other social names that are taking a hit on this news. Now, along with Snap, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest and uh, and Google parent Alphabet are all trading lower. Of course, Melissa, these results from Snap raise questions about whether we will see similar impact for these other social stocks that are so exposed to advertising in that iOS uh, ecosystem, Melissa.
2: And Julia, remind us, I mean, it was just a month ago or so that Facebook, correct, had a blog post about that, what they anticipate this impact would be, and investors wanted to sort of look through that. Um, and look at what we have right now. I mean, the reaction is, is, uh, you know, the ripple effect across the sector is just really notable.
0: Yeah, really notable. So I think, Melissa, what Facebook warned about was exactly this. It was a measurement issue. If they can't accurately measure, it makes it very, very challenging for advertisers. And so um, Snap had taken a slightly different approach than Facebook. Snap had said, we're going to be working with Apple and their measurement system. We think that that's going to work out. Turns out that that's not accurate enough. And that's why Snap is now shifting gears and building its own first party data and measurement system. So I think, you know, Facebook did handle this differently. But I think that that warning, that blog post a couple of weeks ago was indicating that we could see some impact like this. Uh, but, Melissa, it's just this is a, an unfamiliar area. It's new territory for all of these companies. They're trying to navigate it. It's not just a question of can their ads work in the Apple ecosystem? It's can they measure how well they work? And that's the right. key piece that we're, we're seeing right here.
2: All right, Julia, keep us posted on this one. Julia Borston, the latest on Snap. Um, Guy, what do you make of this?
3: This might come back to bite me uh, in the rear end, but I'll say this. Look, f- Snap was expensive going in, but a lot of people still love the stock. I mean, Goldman Sachs, I think on September 13th, initiated with a $90 price target. And oh, by the way, when you parse through the numbers, they still had 57% year-over-year revenue growth. So pretty, pretty astronomical numbers. Okay, but I get it. Valuation is a concern. They whack the stock. But... Facebook down here, in my opinion, is a bit of a gift. Because if Facebook didn't warn already on the back of this, given all the things that they've been going through, you've got to believe that the quarter on Monday is going to be stellar. So, Snap is a valuation concern. Facebook at these levels is trading at 20 times next year's numbers. I think you've got to buy the stock. I, was sort of, I couldn't figure out what the stock looked like into earnings, given the run that it's had over the last week or so. But I think this setup now looks really compelling into earnings on Monday, in my opinion.
2: Why shouldn't Facebook investors, Karen, be concerned about what Snap is saying? I mean, the the CFO had already said in the previous earnings conference call that the bigger impact would be in the third quarter. They talked about it in the blog post. We're getting confirmation from Snap that there was a big impact in the
4: third quarter. And so are you worried, Karen? Well, I'm always worried about everything. It's just sort of my nature, but as a Facebook holder and an Alphabet holder, I am worried about this, but Facebook is down a lot. Remember, they had all kinds of, you know, a crescendo of negative news between the whistleblower and the outage and all of that. So the stock has come in. To Guy's point, this valuation issue isn't one that can't be ignored. Snap had a much, much higher valuation due to its higher growth. So uh, when you miss and you have a super high valuation, you're going to get punished more. So I don't know if this is enough of a punishment for Facebook and Alphabet, but it does set up better going into earnings, having been down, and they've already sort of addressed this. I don't know if this is the kind of thing, if we get a really bad tape on the day that uh, Facebook announces if it's gonna trade down again on the exact same news, which is this, uh, if the effects of the Apple privacy changes. I don't know, but to me, ultimately, it comes down to valuation. When you back out the cash from Facebook, it's not even close. One other thing that's sort of interesting is for PayPal, which has just gotten crushed on the idea of maybe they're going to buy Pinterest. This just sort of adds more cold water for some investors who don't want PayPal to do that. Pinterest trading down. Um, So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the whole industry shakes out. I think Facebook and Alphabet will hold up the best. Yeah. Tim?
5: Well, who needs crypto when you could have owned Snap from pre-COVID levels? I mean, stocks up 400 <laughs> percent. Everybody's focused here on the very important. The, the most important issue is this is a stock that's 23 times 2022 revenues, 23 times sales. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and so I, I think the whole Apple, iOS uh, ad campaign measurement issue is an issue for all of these players, but but it affects them all, you know, proportionally the same way. And it kind of it's a macro issue. it, it is what it is. Um, doesn't necessarily change what the underlying business was. I do think advertisers have uh, a more difficult problem, and then there's companies in the tech space that actually this is what they do for a living, and I think this serves them actually quite well. But. Um, I think interesting also to hear about supply chain dynamics mm-hmm. also affecting the ad campaigns. And that was something we hadn't heard from other people as well. Yeah. So to me, this is a snap issue on valuation, even though these are headlines that we've been reading from all of them on the iOS headwinds.
2: I mean, it makes total sense. Right. But yet yeah, when I read it, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's something I, I really hadn't thought about, Pete. And that is, you know, the supply chain issues impacting their advertisers, which is then impacting yes. advertising with snap which is another headwind that's not faced
6: yeah absolutely and they promised so much as well Mel. i mean if you go back and look and see what they were projecting for this quarter it was astronomical and it made it very difficult. And you guys are all talking about, I think, the right things, which is when you look at this from a valuation perspective and you look at the PE or whatever metric you want to look at for Snap versus a Facebook, for instance, it's not even close. And the cash that Facebook is able to generate is unbelievable. They trade in the 20s in terms of the PE. So there's a lot of differences between these companies. I realize they're both in the social world, but one of them certainly uh, separates itself from the others when you look at balance sheets. There's no doubt about it. Growth is an issue, and when they actually projected some of the growth for next quarter as well, that didn't look so great. So I think there's a lot of different reasons why right now Snap is in the penalty box. Snap is definitely getting hammered today, obviously, down 20 plus percent. But I look over at Facebook, and I, just last week, I actually bought a little bit more stock in there, not calls. I bought stock on that pullback. I probably will be reevaluating and looking at that again, to possibly look to maybe add more stock on this pullback, because I just think it's far too cheap, and I think Facebook is so much better run, and they're so much more mature right now. I think Facebook has a great chance for a snapback.
2: Um, to Karen and Pete's point, Guy, I mean, it is a better setup going into earnings for the rest of this group to trade down lower on this issue as opposed to trade down lower when they actually report. Um, at the same time, you know, one, when they report and on the snap call, I would think that investors still want clarity on, on when the, the, the bulk of the impact will be felt of this iOS change. And if the companies can't give clarity on that, then it's sort of an open-ended question that, that's hard to deal with.
3: Clarity, uh, in terms of this, I think the best Probably, this is just my opinion, I think the company best suited to give clarity would be Facebook, you would imagine. Mm-hmm. But you know, I could be 100% wrong on this. And, but I think in terms of what we've all talked about, um, clarity comes in form many different forms. You get bang for lack of clarity when you're trading at the, the valuation that Snap was trading at. I think you get the benefit of the doubt at the f- valuation Facebook's trading at. So... Listen, I understand why all these stocks are down. We didn't even talk about Google, which, by the way, is probably lower as well. I haven't looked. But, you know, just in terms of valuation and the setup into earnings, again, I was sort of apprehensive about Facebook, given the big sell-off, the subsequent bounce. I didn't know what to make of it. I think I'm a little clearer now into how it sets up into Monday. Now, we could do the show on Monday night, and you could start by fricasseeing me, and that would be fine because it's happened before. (laughs) But, you know, we try to get ahead of things on this show. And I think the the sell-off in Facebook, to me, gives you a buying opportunity in the earnings uh, a couple days from now.
2: Let's get more on Snap with Jeffrey's tech sector specialist, Jared Weisfeld. Jared, great to see you. Um, what's your take on this move in Snap?
1: So I agree with what everyone's been saying. You, you, I think, and I think everything has to be put in perspective in terms of expectations and trying to frame IDFA, which is the Apple privacy change that clearly impacted the business more than expected in the quarter. You know, for the last six quarters, Snap has been re- beating revenue. By about 10%. And here we walked into not only something that's not in line, but obviously a, a straight out miss versus the street. They grew revenue by about 50%, 57% year on year, which is obviously a staggering number. But you know, buy side and investors were looking for something closer to 70% year on year growth. So, so clearly an expectations miss there, driven by the Apple privacy changes. Underneath the surface, you have the engagement train, trends, which are certainly positive, right? You, when you look at daily actor, active users, DAUs, those nicely beat for the quarter at 306 million, four million ahead of the street. Their guidance that they gave on the conference call coming in ahead of the street at the forward quarter. So it's not a user problem, but it goes back to the fact that they're having a significant problem trying to go ahead and be as effective with their ads in the context of an IDFA world and that's really taking its toll on the growth rate. So you know this is not idiosyncratic to Snapchat. anyone within the ad tech ecosystem is clearly going to be impacted here. but you know when you look at snap trading at you know north of 20 times revenue, which is a eight to nine percent eight to nine point premium where it's been trading versus the last uh, the last three years, you know clearly a, a big reset uh, ahead for sure.
6: Jared, i got a quick question for you. So based upon what you're talking about, it sounds like you're viewing this the same way we are, but I just want to hear confirmation on that. How about Facebook? What are you looking forward to come Monday in terms of Facebook after what we've heard just now this evening?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think all, the, all the points that have been made um, have been spot on. And I think from a Facebook perspective, when you look at the relative valuations, you know, Facebook is trading at 10 times next year EBITDA not revenue EBITDA right it's an incredibly profitable company and if you look at where expectations are into 2022 the street already has revenue estimates getting cut in half you're going from 40 percent year-on-year growth in calendar 2021 down to 20 into uh into next year so it's you know similar to what guy was saying in terms of it's almost a free look at the facebook print with an improved setup in the context of revenue estimates that are more than reasonable, and a stock that's trading probably after tonight, low single di- or high single digits as a multiple of 2022 EBITDA.
5: Hey, Jared, Tim. But so let's look at some of the secular trends, though, around ad pricing, around the environment for uh, digital ad, which has been such a strong story. Facebook's ad price growth, you know, over 40 percent. Uh, part of the reason why the stock broke out. What, what do you take from Snap's headlines on global supply chain yet again and what this means, though, for medium term pricing? It's one thing, you know, we get through this period, but but isn't the tailwind still very much intact?
1: I do think the tailwinds are intact. I mean, we're going through, it, we're going through something that is uh, potentially transitory in terms of just an IDFA reset and what that means from a pricing standpoint. But, you know, you think about the walled gardens, you think about the platforms that are being created at Facebook and Apple and Google. The, very similar to what happened to GDPR or the privacy standards from three, four years ago, the larger you are, the better position you're gonna be in, right? Scale to get scale. So I think it puts them in an approved position. The one wild card that you have to think about from a cyclical standpoint is exactly what you talked about, Tim, in terms of snap highlighting global supply chains are an absolute mess, right? So does that impact their advertisers? You're lapping consumer, uh, you're lapping unemployment benefits that were enhanced. So is the consumer potentially more impacted than not? So you do have potentially some headwinds within the overall digital advertising spend um, environment to think about. And, you know, the implications are obviously significant when you think about what to own within tech. Do we just see a rotation more into software because you've got a big chunk of Internet that's potentially offline to many investors?
2: Jared, can we talk a little bit more about the reset because of these uh, new privacy rules? I mean, how should investors look at it? I like the idea of thinking about it as a rule change that everybody has to contend with. And so it affects all of these players. Um, But once we get to the so-called other side of this, what does that world look like in terms of ad rates? Because it's less targeted and the information is not as good, do ad rates come down? I mean, how should investors think about
1: that? So I I think that's exactly right. So we're going through this reset, ad rates are coming down. You have to believe that the likes of Snap, the likes of Facebook, those large established players that have those large R&D budgets, Uh, It's amazing that Facebook is still trading at 10 times EBITDA in the context of, you know, they're going to spend 90 to $95 billion next year from a cost standpoint in terms of all of the OPEX plus cost of goods. I mean, they're pouring so many billions of dollars into this. So clearly they're they're going to do what they can in terms of just to increase efficacy of these ads. So longer term, I I think you have to believe that they're working on a solution from that standpoint. But, you know, there are other alternatives to think about, right? Do you have advertisers that shift dollars away from Facebook, away from Snap, to the likes of, you know, whether it's a Unity or an AppLovin or an IronSource, do those names potentially benefit from an advertiser shift perspective because there's just such a difficult time from a targeting standpoint? But, you know, this does level the playing field across the board. Everyone is facing these headwinds, and it's not just a Snapchat problem.
2: So it can't necessarily be assumed that things go back to normal after this reset.
1: No, I, I, I think, like. I,
2: there's I, a possibility I, I, yeah. that, sh- that there's a shift.
1: Absolutely. You know, unless Apple backs down and, you know, that's not Uh something I'm expecting. You know, Tim Cook has been so adamant that privacy is something that he takes so seriously from a corporate standpoint. If that's if that's going to be their stance, then that's a headwind for the entire group, for sure.
2: Jared, always great to get your perspective. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Melissa.
2: Jared Weisfeld of Jeffries. Karen, how do you think about this reset, as Jared put it?
4: Well, the one thing you talked about, uh, which I think others have as well, is the ability of a of, of Facebook and a Google to navigate this maybe better than Snap, mm-hmm. better than some others. That'll be really interesting to see. However, I mean, it, it's, I'm optimistic that they'll be able to do it. I don't know if even if they are able to do it, it still hangs over these stocks and, uh, you know, puts somewhat of a ceiling on them. I don't know. It's not making me a seller. At all of Facebook or Alphabet. I saw it down maybe 3 or so percent, um, which probably isn't down enough going into earnings, but I'm not a seller. I think they'll navigate it better than most. Mm-hmm. Something that we haven't talked about yet is the impact on the tech sector.
2: I mean, we're talking about some of the biggest names getting whacked in the after-hour session, as Guy would like to say, um, and the impact tomorrow has got to be a negative one on the broader markets, Guy.
3: You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's when you can see stocks of this magnitude, obviously we're talking about Facebook, the market cap there, Google. When you see two, three, four percent moves in names of that magnitude, it makes you wonder, you know, if it can happen to individual names like that, what could happen to the broader market? We obviously haven't seen a single day move of really any significance for quite some time. It just sort of—I think it sort of reminds us that this could happen. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how the broader market trades tomorrow, right? I mean, we've seen. News, not necessarily of this magnitude over the last year, year and a half, that's been sort of brushed off by the broader market over a day or two. I mean, tomorrow's going to be interesting. Again, I think personally, this is, again, just my opinion, it seems like pretty snap specific in terms of the move. Um, They went public, I think, in September 2016. I remember the first conference call was a disaster, but they were great ever since. This is really their first big misstep since. But I want to give it uh, snap specific unless Facebook proves me wrong on Monday, which I don't think they will do.
2: Right. I mean, the runway for this market move is now until Facebook reports effectively, Tim. But we're also talking about this part of the tech sector that it's getting whacked in the context of rising rates with a 10 year at one point seven percent right now. So that doesn't help either. I mean, you're really taking a hard look yeah. at not just the sector itself, but the context in which the sector is trading.
5: But but, you know, Google and Facebook being value plays, quote unquote, in the mm-hmm. in the middle of the sector, I, I, I think makes should make them more immune. No question. Yes. We, we talked about mega cap tech stocks being very defensive in a low rate environment and lower growth environment. If if yields are moving higher for a couple of different reasons, um, that could also be ultimately good for the economy. That's not necessarily good for uh, mega cap tech because of the allocation. I think the most important thing is where we've come from. And uh, triple Qs, NASDAQ 100. So Google and Facebook make about 8% of that. And we know that the top end is really Apple, uh, Amazon and Microsoft. But but that up four and a half percent over the last five days a VIX sub 16. I mean, these are the reasons why I think tactically traders should be paying attention going into that big week of mega cap tech earnings. They've had a big run. Um, the seasonal pressure is something that really almost seems like a distant memory. And I, you know, I think that's the most important issue right now.
2: Seeing the moves that we are seeing in the after-hours, Pete, what is the thing that you buy tomorrow, or maybe tonight in the (laughs) after-hours?
6: Yeah, uh, well, most intriguing to me after just what we were all just talking about is Facebook. I, I had already reached in there once, and it had a nice run up towards 344, then it pulled back, and now here it is once again. In the 320s, I think that creates another opportunity that I'll probably be looking at. I realize that obviously there are some dangers out into the future, but here's the amazing thing: with this big pullback that we've seen out of Facebook, right? I mean, pretty significant, and a little bit of a recovery, a little bit off of the lows. We're up a thousand points over the last couple of weeks in the Nasdaq itself. That's pretty impressive. I mean, no matter how you slice it, so. There's a lot going on, Mel, and, and even with the rates where they are, as you mentioned, and yet you're still seeing the NASDAQ stocks, which are the ones that are supposed to be under a little bit of pressure when we see the 10-year starting to move to the upside. Um, it just shows you how powerful this move really is, and it is Microsoft. It's all the names that Tim was just talking about, these big mega-cap names that I think are still names that we all should own because not only do they, stop, they, they look great on a valuation basis, they're still growing. They're gross stocks as well. So I think that combination tells me that I still think there's room to the upside for a lot of these NASDAQ names.
2: All right, coming up, we are all over the after-hours action. In Intel, the stock is sinking after reporting its results. The call is underway right now. The details are next. And later, a retail runaway. One top analyst says a Macy's e-commerce spinoff could be worth 42 bucks a share. We'll press him on that call in just a few. Fast money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Intel. Shares of the chipmaker are down by about 8% in the after hours on results. Let's get to Josh Lipton for the details. Josh.
8: So, Melissa, heading into this report, Intel was up about 10% this year. It was down about 20% from its 52 week high, but now, as you know, it headed sharply lower here. As for the report, beat on the bottom, light on the top. Q4 guidance, 90 cents versus an expectations of a buck 01, $18.3 billion versus an expectation of $18.25 billion. I caught up with Matt Bryson over at Webbush. He says Q3 EPS was strong, but that data center business wasn't as strong as expected. Q4 guidance, Matt says EPS was light, gross margins coming down. OPEX going up, suggesting costs will be higher next year. Questions on the call for Matt. Where is Intel on its product roadmap? And what does this company's gross margins trajectory really look like? CEO Pat Gelsinger on the call just now saying Q3 was solid. Demand for semiconductors is strong, but this is a challenging supply environment, he says. He told CNBC's Kiff Lesswing that he didn't expect the semiconductor shortage to really end until 2023. As for the data center, says that he's confident in its long-term strength, too, but there are short-term supply concerns impacting that business as well. For more on Intel, by the way, be sure to tune in tomorrow morning. Our own John Fort on TechCheck speaking with Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger about this report. Melissa, back to you.
2: A lot of questions we've got. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton on Intel's quarter. Um, Tim Seymour, what, what do you make of it? I mean, it seems like everything was going in the wrong direction for Intel and the, and the culprit is supply chain, according to the CEO.
5: Yeah. And so, you know, should they be hit harder than others and, you know, Maybe, because I think people think that Intel has so much still to prove to uh, you know, invest in their foundry business, to be a global player in the strategic dynamic uh, on the equipment spend and, and ultimately where their interface is. Like, it, it was going to be a two- or three-year process. In that sense, you could say, you know, give them some time. But we, we want to hear about the CapEx spend. We want to hear about the commitment here to, to, to the foundry business that puts them in a position at some point to uh, you know, take the control of pricing for the sector away from Taiwan Semi, et cetera. But, but look, uh, disappointing on the guide doesn't really change where the stock sits and why it trades at the multiple it does, which is significantly cheaper uh, to Taiwan Semi and other comparable players in the space. And, and that's because the, you know, we've, we've digested this story before. D- data center group growing 10%, not good enough. And, mm-hmm. and you know, really, two quarters ago, that was what knocked this stock out of bed.
6: Value trader, value trap, Pete. I'm starting to feel like it's more of a value trap, Mel. I mean, it, it actually, the stock itself actually had had a pretty decent run until this huge pullback that we're seeing now. But it is frustrating. I know Tim's probably frustrated with this. I think you're in this, Tim. I'm in this stock. Yep. And I got to tell you, my frustration is very high when I'm looking at something like the, the conversation about constraints. We all understand that. We're no, we know we're going to hear that. But it just feels so terrible because I got a feeling as we hear others in the industry, I think we're going to hear some different numbers. We'll see, I guess, whether or not it's Nvidia or AMD or whomever. But it's it's it is frustrating, Mel, because unfortunately, I thought this this CEO really had a handle on things and was ready to press forward. And when I look at those data center numbers and when I look at the projected earnings numbers, it's frustrating because they just aren't there and they're not there yet. There's still a lot of spending that has to go into this. And that's going to be taking a lot of the money that they get and they've got great free cash flow we know that but the frustration level is getting high because this is a stock that continually goes two steps forward or one step forward two steps back and here we are once again back towards the low 50s
2: uh, guy do you think intel sets the tone for the sector or do you think that uh hearing the other reports will will prove that intel has its own problems unique to intel
3: I think this is Intel specific. It's been, I mean, you have other companies that are flourishing. I mean, AMD and NVIDIA Mm -hmm. partnering up. I mean, there are a lot of really good things going on for a lot of other people. By the way, Texas Instruments, which I didn't really understand on valuation $15 ago, continues to grind higher. So they're clear that some winners. This happens to be one of the losers. I don't, look. I get data center should be growing more than it is, but it wasn't a complete disaster. And oh, by the way, if you look at some of these other names, I mean, client computing was fine. I mean, the revenues came in a beat. And oh, by the way, one other thing, uh, operating margins were better than the street was expecting at 28.5% down year over year, but still decent. They took this stock out to the woodshed on the back of this, which to me is pretty surprising. But I think what people are saying was, you know what, Intel's got to prove themselves now and they haven't been able to do it.
2: All right. Coming up, attention, mall shoppers. We've got a big call in Macy's. One top analyst says it could be a $42 stock. Tell us how he gets there. Plus, a Trump-backed SPAC going off the charts today, surging more than 300 percent. The company striking a deal to launch the former president's social media platform. Could this shake up the entire media space? You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Macy's share is ripping 13% in the past week. This comes as speculation heats up over a potential spinoff of its digital business. Cowen boosting its Macy's price target to $32 from $27 a share. And if an e-commerce spin off becomes a reality, the firm sees the stock going even higher. Oliver Chen is Cowan's senior retail analyst. Oliver, great to have you with us.
10: Great being so you, here, Melissa. Thanks for having are you, me.
2: Are you basically saying that after the spin-off, Macy's the brick-and-mortar part of the business will be worth much, much more?
10: Yeah, Melissa, um, the e-commerce business is worth as much as one to two times sales or more. Uh, that yields a stock price of $40 plus. Um, we don't necessarily think a spinoff is imminent. However, you know our, our note really lays out these different scenarios in which uh, the e-commerce business is very undervalued relative to how Macy's is trading currently. Uh, So Macy's is trading overall at 0.5 times sales. As we look at e-commerce businesses and comparable companies, uh, they trade at one or more times sales multiples. So this is entirely uh, possible and is being analyzed. However, um, there are a lot of risk factors and separating the two businesses will not be easy. They will have to uh, go over hundreds of service agreements as well. Customer acquisition occurs across both channels and clearly the customers omni-channel, uh, behaving and, and, and shopping in both digital and physical.
4: And thanks for coming on. Is, I'm sort of confused. Is it possible that the rest of Macy's, with the debt, with the bricks and mortar, and maybe some of them under scale, is actually worth negative, depending on how they divide up the e-commerce sales?
7: Yeah, that
10: is part of um the interesting story here because um the rest of the business the physical side of the business we model at declining three to four percent um and and at the same time we model the digital business growing nine to eleven percent um so thinking about a sum of parts um you know clearly evaluation will be lower on a negative business but it's also a, a little bit of art and science and splitting these two businesses up because as you know um, a physical presence really helps you acquire stores online furthermore um, you're you're shipping from store buy online pick up in store and the customer experience occurs across both channels another side point is macy's does have valuable real estate we've quantified that at 2 billion it's generating a billion of cash flow so the question is um can macy's achieve this valuation this e-com valuation over time itself uh, without this deal happening
2: so, Oliver, you know, what's, what's puzzling to me as a layperson looking at the situation is that you have part of the business, the e-commerce business, which is worth much, much more. And then you have the bricks and mortar part of the business, which is sort of like a shrinking ice cube without any e-commerce unit. And so you have these two moving parts, and you, when you put them together, I don't really understand how, in the end, value is created much more than where it is right now. Are markets that inefficient that we're really not recognizing the extreme valuation gap between the 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 bricks and mortar and the e-commerce
10: well it's it's a bit of a journey melissa and that's one reason we upgraded macy's stock because we think on an overall basis the valuation multiple the free cash flow generation it's an attractive idea um the market is skeptical i mean the the multiple of macy's being seven to eight times pe it's very low um, and it's not getting a digital multiple which is one to two times sales Um, So it's TBD in terms of conviction and what the company can do. Our overall thesis calls for the digitization of Macy's, and Macy's really acting with speed and more like an e-commerce retailer. Um, This is an interesting question. Can you and should you separate the two? Part of this is time horizon. Part of this is execution. Mm -hmm. um, And part of this is really understanding, you know, what what kind of decisions you'd have to make, which would be quite complex in splitting businesses. The okay. future of retail, in our opinion, is physical plus digital. Um, right. Can you separate them? Should you separate them? It's a short-term versus long-term decision as well.
2: Oliver, thank you. Oliver Chen Great of being here with you Um Tim, I'll go to you. I mean, it does seem like an extremely complicated relationship to sort of Extricate. I mean, if you have, for instance, a a sale that's made in in online and then brought to the store, I mean, presumably there would have to be, Oliver mentioned service agreements, because that store is going to send back the merchandise for the online to process. I mean, it's it's complicated. It's not this is not an easy thing to do.
5: And, and that's what that Oliver's pointing out. And I don't yeah. think he's suggesting that it, it should happen. In fact, it's that complementary nature of the hybrid multiple that you want to see Macy's get, which is look at what Walmart's doing. That, that is core to a thesis I have uh, on a long position in Walmart. Or, or how about Target? Um, Give Oliver credit, by the way. He didn't just upgrade this stock today or yesterday. He also he has been upgrading this stock. He, he upgraded this stock six or eight weeks ago. Um, and you know, he's, he was pointing out that digital penetration is going to be 42 43% out in a couple of years. So talking about this core business. So a lot of folks have gotten excited about Macy's. Um, but, you know, I I do think that this call is something that he's had out there for a while. And part of it is also just a a sum of the parts and looking at Mm -hmm. seven bucks a share on real estate and looking at a dividend that no one thought that they could pay. So that dividend yield is actually something you don't buy the stock for, but it's certainly something that protects your downside.
2: Guy, quick on Macy's.
5: It's
3: interesting. I think in uh, summer two thousand and eighteen, it was a forty dollars stock. I mean, I don't think it gets there. And Pete probably knows this a lot better than I do. But this sounds like one that, if you're getting paid enough to sell upside calls against an existing position, you do it all day long. I think if this gets to thirty-two, which is the price target you just mentioned, I think you take the money and run.
2: Coming up, a Trump-backed SPAC surging more than 300 percent today. The company striking a deal to launch the former president's social media platform. So what could this mean for the media landscape? We're breaking it down in just a few. And we're continuing to watch shares a snap in the after hour session. The stock is still down about 23 percent. The company's call is underway. We are dialed in. We'll bring you any big news that comes out back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Whirlpool out with its third quarter earnings. Seema Modi joins us now. Seema.
9: Hey, Melissa, Whirlpool shares are falling uh, in extended trade as the appliance maker deals with supply chain issues that led to the company's biggest revenue miss since April of 2009. Now, in North America, Whirlpool says constraints remain elevated across the entire supply chain. Net sales rising just five percent driven by price increases. It did see strength in Latin America, specifically Mexico. But Asia, wow, very weak. Net sales dropping 21 percent in the third quarter compared to the same period a year ago following the divestiture of of Whirlpool China. Now, the company still referencing strength in the housing market and continued use of appliances driven by more consumers cooking as a big driver of the overall business. In the past, Whirlpool has managed to raise prices to offset higher raw material costs from steel to resin. The question is, of course, going forward is the, the ongoing supply chain constraints make it much more difficult to do so. We're looking at shares of Whirlpool now down as much as 22 percent from its 52 week high. Mel?
2: All right. Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Tim, I'll go to you as a shareholder. What do you make of the quarter?
5: Well, it, it's a case where supply constraints and all these dynamics are things we know, the higher input costs. I think the question you have to ask are, are some of these trends around demand things uh, that are really well understood or investors have belief in. Their international business, I think, is underappreciated Again, some of the, the growth trends there. I, I, look, I think the, the valuation here makes the stock highly compelling. And I think we talk about this housing trade all the time. We talk about going through homebuilders in more traditional ways. Uh, very difficult and not necessarily a real read on where people are investing in their homes. Uh, I, I think Whirlpool's uh, let's put it this way. The tailwinds around these trends are very much in Whirlpool's favors. Can they get their margins intact? I think they can.
2: Yeah, I mean, the margins are the big question, because as Seaman mentioned, they've already raised prices, Karen. So how do you think about that?
4: I think they still have some pricing power. They were able to Mm -hmm. do it before. You know, I come to this question that we always ask is a uh, dishwasher delayed, a dishwasher denied, or a washing machine? (laughs) I think probably not. I'll be interested. I like to hear the call. So that'll be tomorrow morning at 8. I want to hear what kind of sort of back, what could they, had supply chain issues not been present? What could they have delivered? That'll be important. And I think, look, the stocks come in a lot. So some of that was on a little pullback in housing. Some of that, I think, was on supply chain. So to me, it's sort of trading down on the same news again. Um, I'm long. I like it. uh, But I do want to hear the call. I want to hear how their what their outlook is and whether they're seeing any demand issues uh, from housing. Pete, your quick take.
6: Yeah, I just look at this stock, and it's way too cheap. I think, you know, everything that everybody else has talked about just now, but it was a $260 stock, and here we are now down significantly off of that. It trades at a very low multiple. I think there's a lot of reasons. 10% short on the float. A lot of reasons, Mel, I think that I would like to sniff around as well and maybe even start a position on in here. But it will have to come after if I hear something about demand. I want to make sure there is still the demand for their products.
2: All right, coming up, a Trump-linked SPAC surging in today's session. The big money details, next. Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. shares of digital world acquisition corp. The SPAC soaring more than 350% after striking a deal to take former president Donald Trump's new media company, Public. The Trump Media and Technology Group tra- uh, plans to launch a social media app called Truth Social, The former president says he is launching the platform to, quote, stand up to the tyranny of big tech. Donald Trump has been banned by social media giants Twitter and Facebook since early this year after he was accused of inciting the January 6th Capitol riot. Uh, Karen, you've been digging into the details. You have a position. You had a position today.
4: What's the the status? I know that sounds shocking. It just so SPACs are sort of a somewhat misunderstood kind of entity and The warrants that traded with this SPAC to me seemed ridiculously underpriced. I cannot understand why someone would not buy the warrant, which has an 11.50 strike price at now it's trading up to 15 versus the stock, which is now 57, which is about $10 higher than before we started this show. And the combined entity isn't a billion eight, which is what the SPAC looks like. That's only the SPAC's portion. The combined entity is now like closer to 10 billion. So that's pretty great valuation um, out of something that doesn't quite exist yet. It, so I don't know what happened to make this thing just take off. But it is interesting. I do think that there is an audience for it. So this will be potentially a decent competitor. If I were Fox News, I'd be a little bit concerned. Um, you know, he's, I don't know what, how he's going to be coming at uh, Twitter. But... Um, uh, there's sort of something there to me, it was just a complete mispricing I think people don't don 't understand how the warrants work um, I, I I just this is it 's kind of crazy though ten billion out of nothing we 'll see what the business actually looks like nobody 's seen it yet we don 't yeah. know the prospect the uh, prospectus isn 't out yet, so nobody has any details and By the way, there
2: is a reddit component to all of this because this is one of the most mentioned tickers today on Wall Street bets even exceeding GameStop at one point, guys. So there are a lot of layers to the story on top of whether or not this could actually be a player in the social media space.
3: That is the story to me. This could be the meme stock we talk about now for the next few months without question. So as Karen mentioned, I think it has a 57 handle now. Again, knowing nothing whatsoever about the, the, the company. I mean, you've, we've seen it enough times in other stocks to see what can happen when the, when the masses get behind something. So I think you sell this, again, I said at your own peril last night. We were talking about, or, or Wednesday night, about micro strategies. I'll say the same thing here. This could do very odd things over the next couple of weeks, so strap in.
2: <laughs> Coming up, shares till right blazing higher this week, and options traders are betting on even more green ahead. That trade is next. Don't go anywhere. We're live at the NASDAQ market side in Times Square, back right after this. Welcome back. We are all over the after hours action in SNAP. The stock is off its after hours low, still down by about 22 percent. Let's get back to Julia Borson with some color from the call. Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, the first 35 minutes of the call was the company reading its prepared remarks. Now they're in the Q&A period. Uh, The first question was a very long one, uh, a very long answer from Evan Spiegel, he described the situation as a frustrating setback. He said this has been a frustrating setback, but over the long term, they're investing to create solutions that will help help them better serve in uh, their advertisers over the long term. So he's trying to focus on the solutions and how different their systems will be And he does detail some of the ways that relying on Apple's measurement of the impact of their ads just wasn't sufficient, trying to find solutions to that right now. But we see SnapShare is still off more than 21 percent, Melissa.
2: All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borson. And what Julia was mentioning, Guy, was this notion that some of the bigger players might be better positioned to deal with the changes in terms of having the money to spend to figure out new tools to measure better.
3: That's always been the case, right? I mean, the names like Facebook, I mean, as much as people want to shoot against them on the back of these things, they're the best equipped to take some of the uh, arrows that are shot their way. So I think that's what we're all saying at the top of the show. This, to me, just reinforces some of the points we made earlier.
2: Yeah. um, Karen?
4: Yeah, I I agree with Guy agreeing with me, agreeing with him earlier at the beginning of the show. (laughs) I, I, I do think it did sound very specific and um, and I think Google as well has the tools to do it. So um, if they're down a lot going into earnings, that could set up nicely. As guys pointing out for Monday. Yep. Uh, check out shares of Tilray. Meantime, burning
2: higher this week. The pot stock is up nearly 13 percent, and options traders are betting this burn continues. Mike joins us to break down the action. Mike.
3: Hi, Melissa. Yes. Tilray, we saw more than two times the average daily call volume. This typically does trade fairly heavy options volumes and calls, outpaced puts by more than six to one. Although I should mention that over the last 20 days, it has averaged more than four to one. So quite a lot of bullish activity. The most active options were the 12 strike calls that expire tomorrow. But we also were seeing some activity in those that expire at the end of next week. Over 12 and of the 12 strike weeklies that expire next week traded for about 57 cents. Buyers of those calls are betting that Tilray could rally. Nine percent plus over the next week
2: Tim I, noticed, I know you notice this move, and you are by the way, at a cannabis conference in Vegas. I am.
5: I am. now. I'm out at MJ Biz. This is the annual industry event and, you know, all the exciting things that we talk about in cannabis growth, M&A and whatnot. And in Tilray's case, uh, the stock actually to the intraday highs today was up 21 percent over three days on massive volume. And so, it, you know, again, people have been critical of some of the Canadian LPs rightly in some sense. But if you think about a price to sales multiple, which I think makes a lot of sense in cannabis, because the companies, even the ones that are in the U.S. that are that are profitable, aren't really profitable in the current tax regime. And, and so about eight times sales is a big position in my cannabis ETF. I, I think they're, they're, they're a company that will be there. Erwin Simon at the helm, I think there's a, a strong brand story there. Um, but for cannabis overall, it's been a very difficult six months, uh, which belies this growth opportunity. But you wouldn't know that in Vegas. Uh, it is game on out here, and it's a pretty exciting time.
2: It's so exciting that you're wearing a T-shirt um, underneath your blazer. Well,
5: yeah, well, it's, it's my Vegas. It's something. kind of. what like, it, it, well, it's it's a purple T-shirt, and I'm wearing that intentionally. But I mean, this is yeah. you know, if I was in Miami, it would be like my Don Johnson look. This is my Vegas look. Vegas, Mel. Vegas.
2: Vegas, <laughs> baby. All right. Thanks, Mike Coe, for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim.
5: Yeah, Walmart. Again, they deserve more of a hybrid multiple, only 7% of, globally, of U.S. e-commerce sales, and I think that is growing. Walmart.
4: Chairwoman. Yes, if you can buy Facebook down in the, in the 20s, I think uh, it's worth a look for Monday for sure. It's been hit twice on the same thing.
6: Pete. Seeing a lot of great activity in NVIDIA, Mel. I think this is still going a lot higher. Guy.
3: I wish I could see Tim's rig. I don't have any return, as they say. I'm with Pedro, except I'll go the AMD route, not the NVDA route.
2: All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim
9: Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.